We're in chapter 15 in the Gospel of Mark. The last few weeks we've looked and we saw where they had a mocked up trial. There was no charges that could hold up, but they held up in this illegal trial that they gave our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The reason why he was placed on trial is because the religious folks of that day were upset that Jesus said who he was. He told them that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They didn't like that. There were others that did not care for him. The Roman government didn't care for him because they viewed him as a revolutionary. He was trying to disrupt their uh, government uh, ways and, and all of that. But uh, he uh, was not there to tear down their government. He was not there to intentionally upset the religious leader. He was just there telling them that he is who he said he was. King of kings and Lord of lords. Then we see that they took him and they beat him. In just a few moments, we're going to have the bread. Understand, the bread uh, does not turn into his body. There are some that believe that. It's symbolic of his body. When you take the bread in just a few moments, we need to be reminded of the torture, the physical abuse our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took on your behalf and on my behalf. But then we saw that they now were leading, last week they were leading them towards Calvary. He couldn't carry his cross. Simon was chosen to carry his cross. And we've learned last week that a number of reasons. First of all, because of the beating that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ endured, his body had become into a weakened state that he just no longer could carry uh, that cross. But also, and I believe this is the primary reason, is because when uh, someone was being led to their execution as a sign to show that they were guilty, they had to carry their cross. Jesus didn't carry his cross because he was not guilty. Now we come, and we're in verse number 33. Two things that we're going to see this morning. First of all, we're going to see the misery of the cross, and then we're going to see the miracles of the cross. In verse number 33, the Bible says this, And when the six hours come, there was darkness over the land. Uh, we see that, uh, first of all, that the Bible tells us that the sixth hour, Jesus had already been on the cross for three hours. We already know the beating that he took, and oh, he has now suffered the wrath of man. But we're fixing to see, as we continue to read in the text here today, that now he's fixing to endure the wrath of God. Why? Because of your sin and because of my sin. And so we see here that uh, he goes on and he says that darkness fell. 
What does that mean to us? We're a number of things. First of all, we believe that darkness fell because of the people. Notice, he's hanging for three hours now. There's a pretty good crowd gathered around the cross. And they have mocked him and they have ridiculed him. They have physically assaulted him, beat him to where he was just about unrecognizable. And now that we see that darkness falls, could it be that darkness fell because it was all the sins of the world were now going to be placed on Jesus? Now, I don't want to be controversial this morning, and I understand what we sing. But I have a hard time, and maybe I'm the one that needs to be straightened out. But we hear that uh, Jesus on that day became sin. I differ. I believe he took on sin. But how could he become sin? Because if he became sin, then his blood that he was fixing to shed is now tainted. Jesus took on the sin of the world. Every sin committed in the past, present, and future, our Lord took it upon him. And because of that, he's having to suffer what he's been suffering and what he's going to have to suffer later. But we also see that could it be that when darkness fell, that it's also a fulfillment of prophecy. In Amos chapter number 8, verse number 9, we see that it talks about uh, that on that day. What day? He, the, I believe the day that Amos is talking about is this day, the day that Jesus died for our sins. He, he says there in Amos 8, 9, that, 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 that the darkness shall come to pass uh, and darkness will fall upon the earth at noon. This is Amos. Amos prophesied that this day was going to come. And so he says that that, that darkness is going to come, and it says it's going to happen on a clear day. Read Amos 8, 9. And so darkness failed not only because of the people, but it also failed because of what prophecy had told and was foretold that this day was going to have to come. Now understand, we've talked about this, that this plan for Jesus coming to the cross was a plan that was enacted even before the beginning of time as we know it. Before the foundations of the world was established, God had a plan. His plan that he was going to send his only son and his son was going to have to take a beating for our sin and not only take a beating, but he was going to have to be crucified on a a cross all because of us. But then we also see that as we look to the cross and we see darkness fail at that time... (laughs) It's also is that he's get, sending a message of what's going to come later on. What are we talking about? We're talking about 
at the second coming, not talking about the rapture, but the second coming, darkness is going to fall upon the earth. Now, it looks... Sometimes we look at the cross and we, we, we think about, you know, and we know what it all means. But even at the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he was letting everybody know, I'm coming back. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's kind of made me happy right now. And I'm fixing to have a little bit of a spell. Do you understand? Jesus is dying on a cross. He's shedding his blood, but even in his death, he's saying, hey, wait a while, I'll be back. Oh, glory to God. We serve a risen Savior this morning. And his name is Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, he says, and, 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 and you'll find that uh, oh, where it talks about the second coming in Mark chapter 13. But then notice as you read on in the text, Jesus cries out. Now, it cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We see that he is quoting from the Psalms, Psalms 22.1. And we understand that God is having to turn his face from his only beloved son. He's forsaken him. His only son. God says, I can't look on him anymore. I have to turn away. My dear friend, we need to understand this morning as we're getting ready to come to this table uh, that you'll have a time of examination. And that's when if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have an unconfessed sin... You need to get that taken care of because it's quite clear that holiness cannot cohabitate with darkness. You're going to have a time to do that. Confess your sin, repent of your sin. Because in 1 Corinthians, it talks quite a bit, even more so, it says this is serious business. We're fixing to do some serious business this morning. This is not just a ritual we're going through. This is a sacred, holy time. It's a time that we are remembering what Jesus Christ had to endure physically because of our sin. But then he goes on. The Bible tells us, if you continue reading the text, he makes mention that there was one that came and gave him vinegar and the other gospel makes mention that he also said these words, It is finished. Now, what does that mean? There's a number of meanings if you translate from the original language. But the primary meaning of that word or that phrase is talking about of agreement. Now, you just give me some uh, liberty here and uh, my spiritual imagination. Uh, agreement is an agreement where two parties have come together and uh, they're agreeing upon a price. That's what the meaning of the word. 
And so back in ancient times, they would come and say, oh, Brother Terry and I, we're, oh, we're coming and we're negotiating, if you will. And I'll say, well, this is what, I'm, uh, this is what I, I want you to, to be able to buy this item for. And uh, Terry looks at that and he examines uh, that. And then he calls uh, his wife Wanda up because he always has to get permission from her to spend any money. And, uh, uh, and so uh, she says, it's okay. And uh, so we agree. Now, well, what happens is that we have come to an agreement. Terry's good with the price. I'm good with the price. And so what do we say at the end of the transition? It's finished. It's a done deal. Now watch this. Here's Jesus, and we already know when we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he's already talked, and, and that uh, deal, if you will, and I do not need to be light. I don't want to be sacrilegious on that, but the, uh, the bit lack of better words. So uh, God the Father and God the Son are having a conversation, and, and God the Son says, uh, are you sure this is what it's going to uh, cost? And, and God said, that's what it's going to cost. And he says, now, I understand this, son. This is the plan. This is has been planned for me even for the foundations of the world. It's going to cost. And Jesus says, you mean it's going to cost me my life? And and, and God the Father says, yes, son, it's going to cost you your very life. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, he went ahead and he agreed to the uh, the agreement that had been made back before. So when Jesus cries out, it is finished, what he's saying is it's worth the price to die for those who deserve to die, but I took their place. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand today, God from the cross said that you would worth him dying for. He said, I'll pay the cost. I agree upon the deal that has been struck. Serious business. And as we come to the juice, we understand it's symbolic of the blood. Oh, not just any blood. Jesus was the only one qualified to be the sacrifice. Go back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, when they would bring the animal sacrifices, the priest would examine. You couldn't just bring any old sacrifice. It had to be one that was perfect. It didn't have to have any blemish. It was no disease. And they would carefully inspect these animal sacrifices. They took it serious when they went to church and when they brought their sacrifices. Wouldn't it be wise for us to have that same attitude today? It's worth what I have to do to be able to serve my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's worth for me to come on a Sunday morning and Sunday night and on Wednesday night. It's worth the cost that I'm having to pay because I understand he's the one that paid the cost I could not pay. He was willing. He made an agreement with the Father and he says, I'll shed my blood because I'm the only one qualified to shed it. That's the reason why I say we need to be very careful when we say that he became sin. No, no, no. He took on your sin, but he was the sinless one. You will find no sin, not even the capacity for our Lord Jesus Christ to sin. Why? Because it had to be pure blood. Jesus cries out, it is finished. But notice in the text... We see two miracles very quickly. First of all, the Bible tells us, verse 37 going into verse number 38, uh, that 
the veil that was in the temple was torn from top to bottom. But we also see that there were earthquakes and the rocks shattered. If you go to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 27, you will see it even talks that after the resurrection of the Lord, there was a resurrection of the Old Testament saints where the graves opened up and they went into the city. Now, do you believe that actually happened? I believe that actually happened. That here again, even in the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He's telling us better things are ahead. Better things are coming. Because the resurrection that we're going to celebrate next Sunday, because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, those of us who have trusted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, do you understand your body will be resurrected? Those graves are going to bust wide open. And the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that those who have died in sleep, Notice many times over when the Bible talks about death of a believer, it talks about sleep. Why is that? Well, death has finality to it. But we understand because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have eternal life. This old body may die, but we live forever. And so he sees uh, that there was some wonderful things that went on. Now notice, here it is, noon and darkness comes upon them. We also see that there were earthquakes and oh, many things started happening. But here's the one that I believe is the, the, the one that we really need to fix upon. The Bible said that the, tar- the curtain that separated man from a holy God is torn in half. That means today, you no longer have to go through a high priest. That means today, you no longer have to bring an animal sacrifice. That means today that your sins were only atoned for once a year. What it means is, because of the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and because of the shedding of His blood that removes uh, the remission of sins from us, that we now have access, and we can boldly go in to the presence of a holy, just God. Oh, church, today is a sobering day. Today we're looking at the death of our precious Lord. But may I remind you once again, the story doesn't end there at the cross. The story doesn't end three days later in an empty tomb. The story doesn't end that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Oh, one sweet, glorious, wonderful day. If we are able to be alive at the time, uh, it could be that there are some who are going to be here today that you're going to be raptured up. But if the rapture doesn't happen and we're placed in the grave, oh, there's coming a day when my Jesus I shall see Oh, what a Savior. Today, we're going to gather around His table. Now notice, we call it the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. There are some who will observe what is called 
closed communion, that only the members of that particular local body can partake of the supper. Not here to debate all that, but we want you to understand that if you're saved, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. You've been scripturally baptized by immersion. You're welcome at this table. Why? Because it's not our supper. It's his supper. It's not our table. It's his table. And Jesus invites all to gather around his table. Before we go into this wonderful, beautiful ordinance that helps to remind us what Mark's account When you're taking this ordinance, you're taking the cup, you're taking the bread, may your mind be fixed upon the cross. And may you see him gasping as he has his arms stretched wide open. And the nails have been driven in his hand to where now, because of the length of time that he's been upon the cross... Because of the nerve that runs close by where the nails went in, he now suffers acute spasms and the cramping is unbearable because of the position that is... Can you see him there? As he's, his arms are spasmed him, and as we see that the weight of the sins of the world are upon him and as we see that that crown of thorns The Bible says that that crown was planted on him. It wasn't placed upon him. Those thorns that are in that crown that they made for him can be up to an inch long. And the Bible says it planted, which means they shoved it on him with force. And those thorns pierced his skull. Blood's running out. The Bible said, too, as well, that they plucked the hairs off of his face. His back now has chunks of flesh. And he's there suffering and he's dying. And the only reason is because of your sin and mine. 